Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Lovely Cosmere friends, we have a Brandon update for you. It has been a crazy time to be a Cosmere fan the last month or so. With that, we should also say, if you are a new listener, welcome. Because We're so glad there's that you so found many us. people, yeah, that have come in from the last couple of weeks as the Kickstarter fame has rocketed us to the more mainstream. Yeah, as our funny little corner of the internet somehow became splashed across the New York Times and CNBC. That's true. We should prepare ourselves for more official Cosmere fans coming in just like, hey, what's up? I need to know these things. What's up, y'all? I feel like we should state for the record that we're recording on a different day than usual. So if there's a weird energy, that's why. It's late Friday night (laughs) instead of early Sunday morning. Very different vibe. I think what a lot of the people coming in may be interested in is the most recent announcements that have come from the Dragonsteel camp. We're going to start with the first two of the four secret projects that have been revealed to us. The first is entitled, well, okay, first we should stop because there are people out there who are going 100% spoiler free. They want to open their Kickstarter boxes knowing absolutely nothing. If that is you, fast forward like 30 seconds to one minute. Because we're hashtag all spoilers all the time. This well, is the hashtag in that this I case, invented. Slight spoiler. <laughs> no, no, no. See, like I can do whatever I want with the hashtag all spoilers. Every episode oh, says okay. hashtag all spoilers, so I can do whatever I want at any time. Well, we've already clarified that we are not reading the preview chapters. However, the title of the first secret project is Tress of the Emerald Sea. And it is described as being a 100,000-word hoid parable, including Aethers. So glad we just did that Aethers episode. That's true. We have a full hour on Aether of Night and what Aethers could mean in the Cosmere. We now know that Brandon, with Tress of the Emerald Sea, his secret project, yeah. has been this is including be the Aethers. Like really the formal introduction of Aethers so. into the Cosmere. So very exciting. I'm excited to see what remains from what we saw in Aether of Night and what has changed since then. That is kind of the big question mark that we had within our Aether of Night episode was what parts of this story that is not canon will be incorporated in. And it seems like Tress of the Emerald Sea is going to be that real introduction other than just like casual mention into the Cosmere of like what Aethers mean and how they are used with the other caveat that it is about everyone's favorite Cosmere character, Hoyd. Well, it's not about Hoyd, but it's from his perspective. He is telling this story as he does the other 
parables. A lot of Hoyt parables. So we'll just have many uh, episodes breaking down. You can always go back and listen to our previous Hoyt parable episodes. Secret project number two is entitled The Frugal Wizard's Guide for Surviving Medieval England. Now, we actually know that of the four secret projects... Only three of them will be Cosmere books. Yes. And there and is this one. is the non-Cosmere one of the four. Because Brandon has described this secret project as a time travel tourism book or a time traveling Jason Bourne. Now, for those of you who are not fans of Jason Bourne, it's awesome. You should probably be fans of it. But Brandon when you add- has said that he is taking this trope and he feels like he is doing something slightly different, slightly new with it. So if you typically do not like, you know, amnesia situations, maybe give this one a try. I guess that was the great... Uh, introduction to Jason Bourne. For those who are unfamiliar with Jason Bourne, he was a trained assassin who then had amnesia about his backstory and his history. I'm feeling that the amnesia, even if it's not called that, will be time traveling oriented. Like because you, you just want everything time traveled, to be about time travel. Everything is about time travel. I mean, this is described as time travel tourism. I'm just saying they could be unrelated. That is, I guess, true. They could be unrelated, but I think it's going to be like a manifestation of the time. Maybe travel he has like, like brain trauma, and the brain trauma allows him to travel through through time. That's a great reversal of yeah. the situation. Magic like through that. trauma. Magic through trauma, just like our Stormlight Archive. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good call. And I'm going to reserve my... That's my guess. That's a good guess. Throwing it out there. Yeah. No, no. That's solid. Well done. Now, for the meat of the episode, we are diving into some recent, as in 2022, words of Brandon. It's been a hot minute since we did a word of Brandon episode. These are always really popular. We know that you, the listeners, love them. So here we are with some words of Brandon for you. So let's get it started. Let's go to everyone's favorite, Brandon Sanderson, and the words that he says. The first, from Mr. Cargo Pants, which (laughs) could be me. secretly you? Yeah, alter ego me. Thank you for (laughs) insulting me while I was going to do it. It's better when you undercut yourself, but thank you for introducing (laughs) the fact that Cargo Pants are amazing and this may or may not be me. Quote, I'm thinking on using a Marewell flower in a tattoo soon, but after searching, I can't decide which flower resembles the most. If you have thought about it, which would be your decision? And one of the artists, actually, Ben McSweeney, answered this question, saying, There is a canon design forthcoming at some point soon. It became important enough to make something of it. End quote. And the reason we included this one. Wow. Yeah. Why is it important enough that right now they need to canonize it? I think this is a big hint for the lost metal, which is forthcoming. That is a great call. And I believe that the design influences of both Scadriel and Rashar are going to be really significant. We've already oh. seen the updating of uh-huh. the radiant emblems to become what I would call like a little bit more futuristic 
and yeah, the they have like a space age design. Dragon, yeah, Dragon Steel is calling them space age. Exactly. And so like I feel as if maybe the Marewell flower will be included in some of the space age oh. Scadrial things. That's interesting. I don't think they would change the symbol for Scadrial. I Not think for Scadrial s- overall, just for like I'm I'm thinking that the I don't know, maybe like in the space age the Marewell flower is important as a symbol. Oh, I'm thinking like the flower that grows out of the mm-hmm. ground is important. Gotcha. Like not as a symbol, as exactly. a real thing. <laughs> that is a totally different aspect and maybe really important. We know a lot of flowers across the Cosmere have some magical significance. And I've always questioned about like, What's going on with this flower? Like, are you why... talking about the Tears of Edgley? I am mentioning the Tears of Edgley from Nalthus, but I do think that like it is interesting that the Marewell flower is called out so specifically and is so well, important. It's obviously named after Mare. Yes, and, yeah. but then like recreated from the memory that Mare had by Harmony to yeah. exist in the new Scadrian world. And so that as both a real plant, one created by Harmony, and as a symbol, I think can be important going forward in the future of the Scadrian Cosmere. Next question comes from Virgil Fromage. And they say, quote, I hope this is just one more tool in Brandon's arsenal for getting adaptations funded. He's talking about the Kickstarter here. And allowing him to be a big hand in what they look like. I mean, what studio can ignore the author of the largest Kickstarter campaign of all time? End quote. Brandon Sanderson's response is, quote, this is a big point that I think is really relevant. I've been holding out on adaptations lately until I can be absolutely certain that the deal I'm getting gives me a lot of creative influence and power. Maybe not final cut, but more power than your average author, and certain assurances about what can't be changed narratively. One of the goals for this Kickstarter was secretly to make Hollywood pay attention. I had no idea how far we'd go, but what has happened here will make things over there easier and will influence the strength of my negotiating position, end quote. Woo! This is probably one of the best looks at the process of creation from Brandon's perspective in regards to his non-literary works. Yeah. His broader vision. Yeah. Of, he's specifically calling out Hollywood here. Well, and-, and this Kickstarter has just really highlighted for me how avant-garde how like ahead of his time how brave and like i hate to use this overused word but brandon is kind of a maverick oh a maverick (laughs) i love you know in terms of like both book publishing and the ways that he engages with the traditional publishing Mm -hmm. medium which he does and he supports but then he also has these really strong feelings and ideas and opinions about the things that can improve about the way that we produce and market books and all of the things that go along with that, the way that he interacts with his fans, and then extending to the way that he is engaging with other mediums to tell his stories as well. 
This is a really interesting point that I don't know if we are necessarily the experts to speak on, but the connection between the literary world and the Hollywood or we'll just like broader say like the uh, entertainment community where there's so much cross-coordination and the fandom of one piece of work in this case brandon sanderson's cosmere but in other cases you know the wheel of time by robert Mm -hmm. jordan the witcher series and and so on and so forth with all of the different aspects that we've seen over the last decade dating all the way back to star wars is like the original kind of like generating a self-contained fandom that was like feeding itself energy and building upon itself brandon has something here that is that powerful and is that potent in terms of its ability to like continually generate energy and enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and he's proved that now with this kickstarter and i think that when he's declaring as he is with this statement that part of this is done purposefully to strengthen his negotiating position to give him strength over the creative decisions, mm-hmm. which is always like the number one thing from George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones to other creators like John Green and yeah. their works being adapted. I mean, and I would say like Brandon seems to have an even more sort of passionate position about this. Again, even in the way that he is in relationship with his current book publishers and wanting to release things like leather-bound versions and like wanting to include different unique things with his, you know, traditionally published works. He I've been listening to a lot of his live streams lately, so I'm like very up on Brandon's view on the world. I'm an expert now. <laughs> and he has just been talking a lot about how he over time has been advocating for a lot of sort of unique things. And because he's so tapped into his fan community and he kind of has an understanding of what people want and what will entice readers and push sales, basically, like, how can we make this a more valuable thing for people to buy? Because as we know, publish and print is uh, a dying art, supposedly. We've proven all of them wrong by funding a bunch of uh, books in nice print editions at millions and millions of dollars. But but things like that, he has really been advocating for and fighting for over the course of his career, which is why, in his words, he has a really unique relationship with his publishers and that he is not like completely locked into his publishers he kind of has his own editor has his own people on his side working on things obviously he has his dragon steel company in addition to working with tor and other publishers yes his long-term publisher is the company tor which is world-renowned and does all of the distribution but dragon steel as his independent creation company really and it is the company that is going to be most directly involved in all of the different adaptations of his work, I think is really important. And it's just a testament to how tapped in Brandon is to the multiple dimensions of creation Mm -hmm. in this literary 
fantasy world because it's not just about bringing the words to the page. Right. Clearly, he is one of the most prolific authors like on planet Earth. Ever. I, I, do, yeah. I don't know if that's a factual <laughs> statement, but it's like him and L. Ron Hubbard, who is like the famous like 1950s era sci-fi author who then also created Scientology, uh, yeah. but just like wrote a nonsensical amount of sci-fi works. And Brandon is, you know, giving him a run for his money. But I, I think that when you are at the forefront of that type of creative flow and creative energy and you see all of this potential that's basically just mm-hmm. like waiting to be tapped yeah and like looking for specific things looking I'm, for different series i mean and obviously he's right you yes, know 100 like he has <laughs> that's like the... really what this kickstarter proves is just like he's he's right and that when he is creating that purposefully and doing those things purposefully, it gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. And clearly we're fans, but the stepping stones that are needed to vault it into that next category, it's really large. Like when you try to do a comparison of, you know, cinematic universes, you're talking about DC and Marvel and then Star Wars. Yeah. Like those are the big three and everything else is playing yeah. to catch up for those things. Like Lord of the Rings a little bit, but everybody knows that like it's kind of fallen off since the original trilogy. <laughs> like nobody's like the Hobbits are the greatest thing ever. But the kind of focus that Brandon has is basically setting us up long term to have the Cosmere as part of our life. And I love that. It certainly makes me feel better about getting old. (laughs) Because the older we get, the more Cosmere there is. There's always something to look forward to. (laughs) Let's go over to the next one from Very Nice Name 16, who says, quote, you write a lot of immortals in your books. How do you think about people living on large time frames like that and how that affects the way they think and act compared to ordinary people? And also say... Like, what's the 10,000-year-old compared to a 2,000-year-old or to a 300-year-old? End quote. And Brandon's response is kind of long, but I think it's really interesting. Quote, this is actually something I've dedicated a lot of thought to. I think fantasy and science fiction, one of the things it does well is explore human experiences that aren't possible in contemporary or realistic fiction. And so there are a lot of people out there searching for the key to human immortality. And what would it be like? How would we deal with it? These are questions that are interesting to me. And doing a story on a 10,000-year timescale lets me play around with that. How do I approach this? By gut and instinct, just trying different things out. No human being's experience is identical to another human being's experience. So I figure no immortal's experience will be identical to other immortal's experiences. And so I can have a lot of different responses. I can base it partially on the magic system and how they were made immortal. And then that lets me play with different experiences, like the things the heralds are going through, Hoyd hasn't gone through. Some of the sort of degradation that's happening with their souls is unique, not wholly unique, but individual to the experiences that they're having. And I play with those differently than I play with someone who's been elevated to holding near infinite power in one of the shards and how their experience goes. And I can't really say exactly how I'm going to do this with everybody. It's just going to be different for each character in each situation. 
end quote. What a response. I think that this is one of the hardest things to do as an author or just a creator in general. But the thing that we all know is how it feels to be like us Mm. and Mm -hmm. to have the experience like a normal human where you are raised, you find a sense of self, you grow into an adult, you then grow older and maybe reproduce, but then eventually die on a scale of something like 75 years. And that's very familiar to everyone. When you then extend that out to 300, 2,000, 10,000 years, that experience becomes almost so much more unique Like, in a way that Brandon is talking about here. Yeah. I mean, I think that, in a way, you're right. In a way, I mean, none of us knows what that experience is like because we're in the middle of it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like to live a 75-year span and, like, possibly reproduce because I haven't done those things. Yes. Um, And and so the concept that even on a 75-year timeline, we live many different lives yes you know we are sort of reborn into different versions of ourselves throughout our lives depending on the things that befall us and then then multiplying that on a 10,000 year span to me that concept becomes even more mind-boggling to imagine a soul that is that old that has been sort of rebirthed so many times and yet has not died and to have these sort of different versions of yourself stacked on top of each other plus you know whatever like magical, magical situations that are at play. yes yeah that's kind of the crazy x factor that we don't necessarily know but we do understand that the heralds are experiencing some sort of magical malady or or magical decay that other characters like Thydekar or Vasher have not quite yet experienced because they're on a different time scale. Yeah, I like that this is confirmed and in this uh, word of Brandon that the experiences that these different characters are going through are different um, just to get that like confirmation that these are different situations and different scenarios for these different characters. I also just love that He is so open and does make each situation unique because although, as you're saying, we are all familiar with the sort of quote unquote typical, you know, life of a human being, we are all individuals and we all have our own unique experiences. And so applying that, even in this circumstance, I think is really cool. Even to the shards, even to the vessels that are wielding such power that they are functionally, you know, just gods of the universe. I mean, or to like slivers. Yes. You know. Because that, we we just have such a range of experience for our long-lived characters Mm -hmm. throughout the Cosmere. And I think that it's definitely something that Brandon clearly is interested in and something that he returns to Mm -hmm. often in his stories, not just the long-lived characters, but also the afterlife of characters. Think of the shades in Silence in Mm -hmm. the Forest of Hell and 
how they're like not able to leave this world. Kelsey or Thydekar experiencing something similar uh, about wanting to like remain connected yeah. to the world. And like, how is that different from something like a shard when they are so far beyond a normal individual or a normal cognitive shadow? A vessel, you mean? Yes, yeah. a, a vessel, you know, so far beyond these like normal realms even if there's a little bit of magic or mm -hmm. a little bit of like afterlife stuff going on, I then love that we can keep applying different scales, but they're also still individuals. And mm -hmm. that's the really key part is that yeah. the Odium or Resa, the vessel, is a specific individual yeah. and will carry and that, the weight. And his like unique individuality is going to have an effect on the what we way see. yeah the way that he handles being a vessel the way that he handles being so old the way that the shard behaves exactly. we've gotten this introduced a little bit with harmony but of course that situation was different because there were two vessels holding two shards and right. now there's one where we're going to see this most directly is clearly the difference between Resa Odium and Teravangian Odium, where two vessels are holding the same shard and like how do they use yeah. and manifest differently? differently. Yeah, totally. It's going to be really, really interesting. I love that Brandon is so connected to this because it it does seem to be a key part of the Cosmere's like how are these long-lived characters experiencing their different long-lived lives? Let's go to a nice short one next. Question, where was Ivory the night that Shallan stole the Soulcaster? Brandon says, quote, Raffo, end quote. No answer, but great question. Very Where intriguing. was Ivory? And just as a reminder, Ivory is Yasna's spren who presumably like probably should have been hanging around at least a little bit more watchful of what was going on yeah but we also have to assume that ivory and the ink sprint and their relationship to the cryptics because they don't seem that far apart obviously mm. they share some radiant powers but i think that the cryptics and the ink sprint have from my perspective more in common than oh. a lot of the other spren hmm. okay. that we have so far seen. I can see that. And therefore, I'm wondering if there was a little bit, not necessarily communication or any such You think nonsense. they have like a blind spot or something? No. I mean, Shalon wasn't even bonded at that time, so... But what if I don't know if the cryptics would have come into play. Yeah, that's I guess. But she was definitely being investigated by the cryptics at that point and, yeah. and had already but bonded I think... the cryptic from before. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Dang it. I forget about Shalon's testament. Freaky history. <laughs> but I, I think that where we might see this come into play is like pattern has kept secrets from Shalon. Other Spren could be keeping secrets from their radiance. Oh, like Ivory saw it and didn't tell Yasna? Exactly. Mm. Like, because the Spren mm. have different motivations than the humans necessarily. Like, some of the Spren yeah. are motivated to get more Spren bonded to humans. Yeah. Like, that's their primary role or what they see their role as is like a forebearer of more spren bonding more humans. And if 
For example, Ivory thought that it was beneficial that Shallan be bonded to a cryptic. Maybe he was just like, yeah, I see the cryptic over there, and I'm going to let this situation happen and play mm. out. Because mm. I'm not saying it's a guaranteed. I'm not I saying there's a, any... Yeah type of evidence to back this up i'm not i'm not with that theory brandon says rafa yeah. and therefore <laughs> i get to speculate based on what his, his rafa means <laughs> okay next question comes from potato and it's very or potato it's or potato it's very fun they ask quote what kind of attractions would be in an in-universe cosmere amusement park end quote a, excellent question. Such a good question. B, Brandon Sanderson's response. Quote, I don't know. If I were going to come up with an in-universe one, I would try to build it in a modern or future era where you could use the powers in interesting ways. Like a roller coaster that goes in and out of speed bubbles could be interesting in that it is a dimension of experience that we can't have in our world. And so I would write those kinds of things in so that reading about it would be more interesting. That's how I approach things. The magic system and the world building would be relevant to how the theme park runs. End quote. Love it. Sounds very fun. I want going in and zipping bump. through the speed bumps and just <gasps> boom, 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 boom. Sounds great. I feel like there's so much that goes along with the manipulation of time that we don't necessarily need to get into. But one of them is specifically the shifting of, it's called a red shift or blue shift, depending on the direction in which the time you are manipulating is going. And there are basically properties of physics that are changing as you are shifting through time. And so a roller coaster through that, basically like watching colors shift, watching the direction of light shift you could theoretically get like rainbows and different types of you know prism like manipulations of light as you were busting back and through different types of speed bubbles so there's just a bunch of fun stuff that you could play around with once you unlock as you would need a unchained bondsmith to do maybe all of the different powers in the cosmere next question comes from SMG9000. They ask, I really enjoyed Arcanum Unbounded. Do you see yourself releasing a collection of short stories like that again? And have other authors approached you about writing a short story in the Cosmere? What other author would you enjoy seeing tackle a story in the Cosmere and why? Brandon responds, quote, I think in an Arcanum Unbounded 2 is someday inevitable. But it depends on how many novellas I get around to writing or short pieces. I think it is inevitable. We already have one in Don Shard that would definitely go in it, and we will have Horn Eater in a year or two, and maybe someday we will have the Lopin story that could fit in there. Okay, stop. This is the first I've ever heard of a Lopin short story. The Horn Eater story was like we knew about. hard confirmed. Yeah. But now we're just this like tossing the, yeah. in a little bit of the lopen. So just wanted to flag that. <laughs> and then Brandon goes on to say that right now, the only person that is authorized to write in the Cosmere except me is Isaac. And he is working away on his first stab at a Cosmere story. So if that works, potentially there is a chance for more. 
Um, He goes on to say that the Skyward novellas have been really well received, and so that has given him hope for doing things like that in the Cosmere later. But let's talk about this story being written by Isaac, because it's kind of exciting and it's kind of new. We definitely have never seen anything like it in the Cosmere, as Brandon clearly is stating. Isaac's the only one who is allowed to write. And Isaac Stewart is the lead designer for dragon steel of visual things he has a long title a long new title congrats isaac on your promotion and his story is taking a tiny tidbit from one of the broadsheets during era two of mistborn where a character a side character real i mean like more than a side character yeah a, like a bit character very excellent like that uh nothing more than a throwaway mention just a name and that name is nikki savage also known as nicelle sauvage i wanted you to say the french version so that i could just go with the brutal nikki Nikki savage Savage. nikki savage is an adventurer similar to alamancer jack in some respects we don't know too much about about her we just hear about her i think only from alamancer jack's perspective we're gonna do a whole episode on the broadsheets uh before the next miss porn book so we'll dive into it then but i think we actually have a w-o-i a word of isaac there it is <laughs> about his book inside a, this a w- boy there it instead is. of a wob <laughs> we have a boy isaac says quote been getting back into my book writing Nikki Savage, Boatload of Mummies. That won't be on the front of the book, just the back of the book. It's basically Death on the Nile mixed with The Mummy, mixed with King Kong, with no King Kong, set in the Mistborn universe with a side character that's mentioned in a newspaper. I'm sold. That that's I, an amazing description. Put that <laughs> on the poster. That's good for me. Like, if you need more, get out of here. That's the back of the book blurb. That's it. <laughs> Done. Slapping on a cover. I'm in. It can be the front of the book, Isaac. It can be the back of the book. Okay, so soft title is Boatload of Mummies. And clearly, Isaac is taking this braunchy mentioned character, Nikki Savage, who we think is kind of like an Indiana Jones-esque adventurer. Lara Croft. Ooh, Lara Croft. Yes, a very excellent female version, but got that vibe the ambiance Ooh, ambiance i like it so so many great words friday night is just bringing us all the good vocabulary where isaac is able to take the story and where it leads us we know nothing about but we know it's out there and we also know that brandon has specifically mentioned the skyward flight series where there were currently three novellas soon will be four novellas all mostly written or co-written by an author named Jancy Patterson. I think that this introduction of Isaac's story and the success of Jancy's introduction mm-hmm. into the Skyward Flight is simply a opening salvo for the possibility of Cosmere guest writers. Yeah, I mean, I think Brandon is right to keep it narrowly focused and to be very careful about who he invites into writing voice for the Cosmere. I would be really excited to read 
this book by Isaac um, because I know that he is part of the Dragonsteel team. Like, I feel I, I trust him to write these worlds that we know and love because he is like fully immersed in it. So I think Brandon is like going about this in the right way could lead to some really cool stuff could lead to a lot of cool things that we otherwise wouldn't get. And that's the defining trait that Brandon has continually mentioned, is that he's very much interested in expanding in ways that we wouldn't otherwise see. Right, because he's only one man. Exactly. despite the amount that he writes, he can only write so much. (laughs) And so I love the concept that other people can be coming into the Cosmere to provide trusted authors only. I think that what we have here from a couple of questioners. Yeah, we also have someone asking, and I didn't like fully see this thread, but someone asked about something entitled The Arcanist. And Isaac said that this is a working title for, quote, something that's white sand and still has that same cadence. So it feels like I mean, calling it the Arcanist is good because it will be Chris's story. We follow Kenton in this one. I think the back half to this story would need to be Chris going back to Darkseid and figuring out what to do with the Emperor there and saving her town. The status? I have a lot of notes for that. Brandon says, he's writing Boatload of Mummies right now. So the status is, finish Boatload of Mummies, release Boatload of Mummies, decide what he wants to do next in the Cosmere, because Isaac's got the... Do what he would like in the Cosmere ticket. Isaac says, the one that I'm really excited and might wind up doing after this, and I'm not going to give too much on it, but I love the title of it, but it would be set on Scadriel and it's called Son of Bones. And that's what I would really like to write after Boatload of Mummies, if it turns out okay. End quote. This whole, like, exchange. Okay. One, I need to flag that the Arcanist would be Chris's story. I'm in. Isaac, please write this for me. I would love this so much. But just the idea that Isaac, as like a fan of the Cosmere who knows all of the stories and who has like a list of stories that he wants to be told in the Cosmere, is able to like tell them and basically turn his fan fiction like into (laughs) real life canon stuff is amazing. I'm here for it. I'm totally behind you, Isaac. I mean, he's got three ideas. The first starts with a mix between the death on the Nile and the mummy. So I'm down for all of Isaac's idea. Duh. He's got a clear ticket in the Cosmere from Brandon, and he's got a clear ticket in the Cosmere from me about whatever he wants to do. They all seem great. I'm super interested. I'm surprised, though, that Brandon would in any way give up the story of Chris, because Chris, to Mm. me, seems like such a major Cosmere character that it it seems like Brandon would really want to write I imagine it would be something kind of like the co-writer situation with Jancy where Brandon sort of writes the outline outline. like because I think he probably knows what Chris's story is and I imagine that Isaac being both an employee of Brandon's and one of his closest friends probably knows what Chris's story is already and so with that outline you know he would just be doing the dialogue and the narration of the story would be my guess. An excellent guess. And now let's go to another word of Brandon specifically about Chris. Adele R.D. asks, quote, what radiant order would Chris be in? End quote. There's a very long response from Brandon that I will not completely read. However, 
He goes on to describe that Chris could fit into several different Radiant Orders. Brandon says that she's most obviously an Else Caller, but that he doesn't want the Else Callers to be the quote-unquote scholarly order. And he takes great lengths to emphasize that he doesn't want the orders to be like Harry Potter houses. So he doesn't want them to be exclusive. He, you know, doesn't want like only brave people go in this order and only, you know, smart ones go in this order. He says, quote, I want to kind of run these based on the truths that you're speaking, the oaths that you're speaking, and what those mean to you, what you're trying to do. And some of those aren't going to be archetypical, the whole idea of protecting or things like that. You could make really good argument for Chris as a light weaver. I could make a pretty good argument for Chris and Truth Watcher. You could make good arguments for a good half of the orders for any given character. And that's how I want it to be. End quote. I love this idea. And I think that this is probably one of the most important things to take away for any character that yeah. we're looking at is that the orders are not exclusive. They're not supposed to be restrictive. And any one of our characters, if they had a slightly different trajectory, could probably end up in a different order. Yeah. And seems... we've talked about this a lot, especially in terms of the Wind Runners and the idea that yes. there's like different ways of protecting mm -hmm. and that that oath or that idea is not always going to look the same depending on the individual knight. Yeah. Kaladin and Teft being the clear examples where Kaladin's very outwardly focused. Sure. And Teft is often very inwardly focused. But then like Lopin has a completely different 100%. interaction and interpretation of the same oaths, which is always something that I've really loved. There is a little bit I I sort of was confused that he was like contrasting this to Harry Potter houses because the whole thing about the Harry Potter houses is that like Harry puts on the hat and decides that he wants to be in Gryffindor. You know, like he's not actually like... I think he's not a true fan of Harry Potter. <laughs> the Harry Potter nerds are very much out in arms and they're the, like, the wizard decides the house. I was like, well, actually, yeah, the yeah. whole like thing about Harry Potter was that he chose what house he wanted to be in basically which is kind of what brandon is saying here yes. is like look the knight sort of gets to choose like they might want to be in the else caller house even though they could very well also be in the light weaver house or whatever and so to me that indicates that all of our radiance that we know you know shallan and kaladin and so forth are very much a product of their environment and their situation and with different direction they could have mm. ended up in different orders or different See, but i think it's more than that of just like life circumstances led you here like i think there's an element of choice i feel like when you say that it's due to life circumstances that makes it feel like you know inevitable no matter what because of the path that Kaladin is on, he would have been a windrunner. But if his life had just been different, you know, he could have been different. I think that Kaladin is one of the hardest ones to do because he's obviously supposed to be like the I'm most. I'm like, I don't know character. what other order Kaladin would be. <laughs> but I do think that an example like Shallan is yeah, probably better. Is for like sure. clearly like, Shallan the scholar could have could gone have been an L scholar. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. And could have gone down the exact same path as Yasna, but she's not the same as Yasna and she has an interest in scholarship, yes, mm -hmm. but is not the 
same intensity that Yasna is when well, it comes to... Well, I think to... she's just, like, different intensity. That's she true. She approaches yeah. scholarship in a different way. And I think what we see with Brandon's statement is that the concept he wants to stay away from is an exclusivity among the orders where yeah. it's like you can't be in here because you're not xyz like you don't belong yeah, yeah exactly yeah which he's always been i think really vocal about especially with the knight's radiant order quiz i've seen a lot of uh people taking that quiz recently um on the online forums as new fans have started to come into the fandom over the last couple of weeks. There's been this like uptick in uh, nice Radiant Order quiz results being posted, which is awesome. Again, welcome all y'all new people. But one of the things with that quiz, Brandon was very, very clear about was like, look, take the quiz, see what you get. But like, you can pick if you don't like your result, just like pick the order that you want to be in. You have a choice. At this time, too, we don't even have all the information about all the different true, orders. True. So it's like you can definitely pick. <laughs> like there, there's not any limitations right now whatsoever. We, you, there's one you can basically just make up entirely. You no, can be whatever you there want. Is not. I think that what we have here is a great example of the diversity that is possible throughout the different Knights Radiant orders and the way that they are manifesting on Richard because one of the key things to me and one of the interesting things to me is the way that Venley mm-hmm. and her powers and her spren are manifesting and the way that the gem heart that exists seemingly inside of a lot of Rosharian creatures mm-hmm. and Rosharian native creatures interacts with the spren bond which is not exclusive to humans, but we like kind of see it as exclusive to humans. The Nahal Bond. The Nahal Bond, exactly. Mm. Like we know that clearly because of Venley and because of other characters is not exclusive, Mm -hmm. but it is introduced as like a kind of exclusive thing, something Mm. that was part of human history. Sure. And I love the concept that like, no, we need to break down those ideas. Yeah. Is what Brandon is clearly articulating here. Totally. Breaking barriers. Let's do a quick one. Let's just do a a random kind of like factoid here because I love this question from Abject Bed 3833, who says, quote, when Rabaniel said for Edo's sake, was she referring to Ba Edo Mishram or Edo Nauseam? Brennan says Ado Nauseam. Which probably changes the pronunciation or at least for me i would say bon yeah. edo mishram and i would say adenalsium mm-hmm. that's just me everyone has their different pronunciation yeah but fun little turn of phrase in this situation interesting that raboniel apparently knows about adenalsium and says it as in like, like the, a yeah. reverential term. Well, to the point, like when you're saying for Edo's sake, for God's sake, you're already at the point of like a comfort with God where totally you're not uh, that reverent. You're you're kind of a little bit more detached from like the most uh, fearful version of like a mm. god figure and you're just like we can't say his name we can't you know draw his image all the kind of like restrictive elements of interpreting god 
when you're saying something like you're giving him a nickname ad nauseum is Ada yeah. in this situation. Yeah, it's I a think, little bit more casual, which to yeah. me says like this is a long-term experience that maybe Rabaniel has had outside the shards. It seems weird to me that Rabaniel would have been alive when Adenalsium was around. I agree. I don't think so that like that's maybe, like a canon thing that we can say across the board. Maybe this is a mythology that has been like passed down to her from her ancestors or something. I mean, we have some hints that Adenalsium visited Rashar before Adenalsium was shattered mm-hmm. and left some of its investiture on the planet. We have not heard anything about there already being higher life forms like the singers on Rashar when Adenalsium visited. Yeah. So that could be like a yes or a no. And but this makes that question even more interesting. To me, it kind of makes it almost seem as if the singers did have some connection to the vessel that was Adenalsium. Oh, I mean, we don't know that Adenalsium had a vessel. It just means that it's it's more likely that there were singers on Rashar when, when Adenalsium visited and left some of its investiture. Exactly. Whereas before we thought it was kind of all smaller life forms, you know, yeah. the figments of Rashar, little spren here and there, and then the Probably just plants. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I and originally then the figured. Spren but- came from that investiture that was left. But the concept that the singer culture had passed down enough right. of Adenalsium's myth. M- myth and yeah. memory story to Rabaniel maybe indicates that there was some cognizant life form, you know, sapient life form that is absorbing what was happening when Adenalsium, god of the universe, maybe, showed up. Maybe that's what makes Rishadium. Maybe Rishadium were like the other life form on Rashar when Adenalsium visited. And that's how they became like extra intelligent or something. It's really interesting. I have this question deeply about the gem heart. And like maybe that was an Adenalsium thing that he added the gem heart hmm. to things on Rashar. But like, I don't know. I feel like the gem heart would be more naturally occurring for just like beings that evolve on this planet. Mm-hmm. And then Adenalsium comes, leaves some investiture, which creates spren. Okay. And like then there evolves a relationship where now the spren and the indigenous beings realize that they can form a relationship okay that's interesting i'm actually like throwing myself through a loop here because i'm going to go the complete opposite direction (laughs) and say that the spren actually came first you don't think there were any living beings on rashar no that there were definitely living living beings but they did not have gem hearts oh and then they like evolved to accommodate spren Exactly. Adenalsium mm. shows up, the spren show up, and then the gem hearts grow because of the... It's. It, you think it, they had a regular biological hearts and then somehow created a stone inside of them? I think that's hard to believe. 
<laughs> it's definitely hard to believe. Everything about Rashar is hard to believe for someone who doesn't live on Rashar. But I... It makes more sense that all of the beings that were already there would naturally have these gem hearts. But what was we the gem actually, heart for? We don't actually know if Rishadium have gem hearts. But they have a spren bond. Just saying. They do have a spren bond. We don't know if they have a gem heart. We know that singers, chasm fiends, I think chulls we know for sure, and some of those other similar crustacean-like beings, they have gem hearts. It seems to make sense that that would occur naturally since it is acro- occurring across different populations. It seems a far cry to assume that all of these populations would have evolved in the same exact way to accommodate Spren. I agree with you in a certain respect, and I think that is a logical assumption. My question would be, what are they evolving for? Like, what is the gem heart for if not to adopt Spren? And so therefore- It's just the way that they're made. They're the way they're made for what? Every evolutionary advantage is an advantage for some reason. It probably like pumps blood and stuff like our normal hearts. Okay, so that that would be an interesting thing. It's just like doing its normal thing. And then when the spren show up, they're like, actually, we can do something new with it. Interesting. Okay. That's a different way of thinking about it than I was thinking about is that it's like solely a gem heart for spren right it's just like an empty stone unless there's a spren inside of it exactly and my question would be like okay if it's is an empty stone then the only and the only reason that it exists is to adopt a spren then the spren would have to be there first and Mm -hmm. they grew to accept that spren well listeners tell us what you think which came first the gem or the spren an excellent query take us to the next question gracie moo Ask, has the Dawn Shard that's different from the rest always been different? Brandon says, quote, Raffo. Dang it. <laughs> A good question. Great question. We know that one of the four Dawn Shards is said to be different from the rest. That's a quote. We don't really know what that phrase means precisely. So I think this is a great question to sort of start getting at the heart of that. Has it always been different? We are no closer to knowing that answer, unfortunately. It reminds me, though, of the shard that all we know about is that it, quote, wants to survive. Yeah, hide and survive. Exactly. That is a very old word of Brandon at this point, though, that we don't necessarily know. He hasn't mentioned if anything like updated. still, yet. yeah. Totally fine. And that's the caveat that we come to this situation with. Every of word of Brandon can be completely nullified completely destroyed and every word of brandon could potentially be a huge aspect of the cosmere (laughs) to the next question we have covidax one who says quote you've hinted before that hoyd is in reality much more self-interested than he is perceived to be and walks a path you yourself said you probably would not condone Yet at times we see him share touching personal moments with multiple characters, such as during Shalon's childhood or helping Kaladin through the several rough patches. Are these also to serve his own interests or goals, or are these genuine moments he shared with those individuals? End quote. Wonderful question. Brandon says, quote, Hoyt is legitimately empathetic to the individual. This is how he is. He is very empathetic to people's problems, but in the grand scale, he is more self-interested than I think people are seeing and the fandom seeing him being. 
these things aren't mutually exclusive. He can be very empathetic to the problems that Shalon is going through, while at the same time understanding that if Rashar were destroyed but Odium were contained, then it meets his goals better than if other things were to happen. And in a moment of decision, like if he were to say, all right, you can sacrifice Rashar, Odium is contained forever, he would probably say yes, meaning that all these people that he's empathizing with would be dead. And that's what I'm saying right there when I say sacrifice for Shar. Not that this would happen necessarily. I'm not saying that. But, you know, given that kind of impossible false dichotomy, that's one of the places where his mind and heart is. Depending on your axis and things like this, he has, like many of us, a complex morality. But those are legitimate moments of empathy on his part where he is trying to make their lives better. But it doesn't mean that every motivation that he has is purely altruistic or purely aligned with what the people on Rashar would want, end quote. An insightful bit of Hoyt philosophy there yeah. from Brandon. I think that this is not just a Hoyt question, but kind of like a personal question across the board <laughs> of what is your personal moral philosophy and where does that hold and what does that mean? Yeah, I think this... Man, this is just like such an interesting philosophical question that Brandon brings up. And Hoyt is still such a mystery. And one of the things that I love about these books that we talk about quite a bit is the complexity that Brandon introduces and the fact that he challenges his readers to be able to hold these quote unquote opposing things in mind at the same time to be able to wrap our minds around the fact that Hoyt is a truly empathetic person that is, um, you know, has compassionate feelings towards these characters and also would let them and all of their loved ones and every single person on this planet die if he felt like it aligned with his greater goals. Yes, the ends definitely justify the means when it comes to Hoyd's philosophy. He would clearly sacrifice all of Rashar, all of the people that he's empathizing with. But I think that this like also sort of points to and and what Brandon is pointing to here is that we all have our own lines like this, right? Like we all yeah. have the point at which even though we feel compassion and love and empathy for a thing or a person or a circumstance, there's a point at which something else becomes more important. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of like your your decision needs to be made. I think the difference between some characters is when they are able to be flexible. And this is always like a personal mm. morality decision about, okay, I'm making a decision because I believe that containing odium is really important. But how willing am I to admit that I could be wrong, that my decisions that I'm making mm. could be wrong? Sure. And how willing to admit am I that I'm just like, like another flawed aspect of this universe? Oh. And well, I think also like how willing am I to change my mind yes. when presented with New, new information. information. Exactly. Yeah. And like maybe I, this is his philosophy right now, but we would see in the future if he is presented with some kind of, I don't know what could be new information to Hoyd, but presumably there is something well, there's that maybe one thing, would change the way that he feels. Yeah, there's one thing that seems to be 
pushing to the forefront from Rhythm of War, which is a relationship with Yasna. Mm, I think yeah. that there's something from The Traveler, episode 24 of this podcast or something, like a long time ago we read The Traveler specifically, that hints at Hoyt having some type of relationship with an individual that was lost. There's actually, yeah, there's a few references throughout the Cosmere books to this person. It's unclear what the relationship is, if it's a lover or yeah, a child family. or something. There's some person that was important to Hoyd that he lost at some point in the fut- uh, in the past. And is driving a lot of his decisions and maybe that personal philosophy that he has. What is a thing that could change it is maybe a new person that is filling that same void. I don't know if it is Yasna. Yeah, I don't think that's been like shown to be necessarily that important exactly. yet, but it could be in the future. It would be really interesting, but at this point, I feel like we haven't even learned enough about Hoyd's yeah. motivations to see a reversal of his motivations, <laughs> yeah. where it's like all against our own expectations that we've built I up. I think we have to wait for Dragonsteel for that. Yeah, we really need to like better understand what Hoyd's philosophy is, and these little tidbits of information are just reminders that he very much is willing to to see beyond the empathy he may feel for an individual yeah. for the what he would consider, quote, greater good. Sure. That introduces lots of big problems in, in terms of philosophy. Like it, it <laughs> immediately drops a bunch of problematic elements that have been debated multiple times over many thousands of years at this yeah, point just watch the good place exactly everyone can watch the good place and you would understand it get some chidi anagonia in here and he will instruct you on the different moral philosophies i think we should move on to the next question yeah talking about potentially some friends of hoid this question comes from nc magic 97 quote Dragons are often depicted as much more intelligent and or powerful than humans. Are dragons in the Cosmere better equipped to handle the power or psychological influence of becoming the vessel for a shard of adenalsium? Brandon says, quote, I would say that Raphael. That's not where I thought you were going to go with that. So I was planning to answer a different question. The one that you asked, I will say Rafa to. They are better suited toward long lifespans, which makes them... Mm, but I would not say that a dragon in the Cosmere is born more wise than a human. End quote. Brandon certainly dancing around yeah. some things that he doesn't want to mention or talk about here. Giving the Rafa out officially... To this question of, are dragons in the Cosmere better equipped to handle the power or psychological influence? I think it's interesting that he does say that they're better suited toward longer lifespans, especially when we just had that question about long lifespans mm. in the Cosmere. It seems to me that if you are a being, okay, like we were talking about, in terms of us humans on Earth, we are used to conceiving of ourselves as a, you know... 80 to 100 year uh, lifespan being. Very generous of you. I like that. Yeah. I mean, we've got modern medicine. You're you're a woman. Let's be honest. You guys live longer anyways. So you're, you're all good. I think only if we're married. Oh, no. Actually, I think we live longer if we're, we're actually not married. not married. Yeah. 
I think it's the reverse. Men live longer if they're married and women live shorter if they're married. It's so unfortunate. We just take right from you. Just, to, just to feed off you like a vampire. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> if you are a being that already is suited mm-hmm. towards a longer lifespan, I do imagine that you would have at least marginally a better ability to handle uh, a longer lifespan by being a shard. Yeah, But also the type of perspective that comes along with being a shard. Because I think my sense is that one of the things that is probably difficult and wearing on a person like Vasher or Kelsier or the Heralds about living so long Mm -hmm. is being able to wrap your mind around the perspective of like so many years having seen the world. Eons, like eras beyond your own. Whereas a dragon would maybe be very comfortable with centuries or maybe even millennia of existence. So if you already are like starting with that advantage, it seems like you would be and maybe it's you know a negligible difference but it seems like they still would be at least a little bit better well we do think that the individual frost who is a dragon and was in existence at the shattering of yeah. adenalsium yeah and knew hoid at that moment yeah and so that would suggest a many thousand year natural lifespan that frost is rocking we don't necessarily have to say natural because he might be hanging out in the cognitive realm doing some weird like time dilation things there's lots of possibilities but let's just say that they have a very long extended lifespan compared to humans and i do think that that prepares you for long existence as a shard yeah and therefore you know it's just like uh, a natural leg up. The question is, does that mean we should give some emphasis to our dragon shard vessels? Oh, like cultivation. A cultivation. Do they have a leg up on some of the other shards in their Maybe that's perspective? Maybe cultivation feels so comfortable just exactly. like biding her time. Yeah, she because her natural persona would be i'm a dragon yeah, these are a bunch like, of humans i'll wait be you here out for decades yeah, decades upon decades i can sit here i'll just wait for y'all to kill yourselves which is maybe a good bet for dragons most often and so it would work out on the shard timeline as well lots of interesting things there let's go to another interesting question from one of my favorites wind punner perfect quote is Shalon's mother invested slash someone we know of or just a woman who got involved with the Skybreakers? Did she ever get involved with the ghost bloods? End quote. Brandon responds with, quote, hmm, very interesting. Very interesting questions. Raffo, end quote. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon, for that pattern. Uh inspired <laughs> response. Yeah, a katak mm, of a response. Clearly, this is a great question. It is cutting right to one of the key mysteries about Shalon, Shalon's mother, 
Yes. And what are the unknown things that Shalon is still blocking from her own knowledge or that she was never introduced to at Shalon's all? Shalon's mother is a huge question mark. We're actually thinking about doing a whole episode looking into what we know about Shalon's mom and some kind of wild <laughs> theories There's about Shalon's mom. There's a lot of wild theories. And we that's have basically zero information, but there are some very complex theories. So that tells you something about the quality of the theories, but they are fun nevertheless. Yes, the less information we have, the crazier the theories get. <laughs> Okay, next question. I thought this one was really good. This comes from Rexozord, who says, Was Gliss a dead eye before being enlightened by Ja Anat? End quote. So Gliss is Renarin's uh, corrupted spren. This person is asking if they were a dead eye spren blade before they became corrupted. Brandon responds with, quote, Raffo, good question. You may have to wait for a while to get answers to some of those questions. Sorry. And I'm not promising that I'll ever answer them. End quote. No, I really want the answer to that question. I think that is fascinating. Top tier question. It really is, once again, just like going right to the target of the key mysteries. This concept, though, of... Jana being able to enlighten dead eyes like resurrect the dead eyes has a lot in common i believe with what is going on with adolin and maya's relationship where- yeah i mean i think that's the question we have this huge mass of dead eyes in the cognitive realm yeah. that we see in a uh, rhythm of war and then it's like well what what is their future? What is going to happen to them? Can they just be rebonded by people? Does it need to be some type of process like what Adolin and Maya have experienced, you know, where it's sort of a slower, more relationship based thing? And I'm not necessarily convinced that Maya is going to, you know, fully reanimate because of this bond. Mm-hmm. Or is there some other thing like Ja Not. I think this is just a really good speculation. I actually think that this answers one of the key mysteries that was presented with Rhythm of War because you had Maya reclaiming some of her sentience yeah. a little bit and her sense of self, but then you had this mass of Denai Spren that flocked towards, came towards lasting integrity, the home of the honor Spren and the center of Adolin and Maya and Shalon and all of this. Like, what was drawing all of the Denai to this location? What was bringing them in from all, from where they seemingly were around the cognitive realm? Yeah, I can't realm. remember if we get an answer about that in book i don't think that we do but i don't remember i don't believe that we have a clear answer i Mm -hmm. think there's speculation but i don't think we have a clear answer about like what was the drawing factor for these denai spren and regardless of if we get a clear answer i do think that the denai spren are not just at the whim of other people they're making decisions yeah i think that's very obvious just from what we see with Maya, that mm-hmm. although these dead eyes are, mm, you know, for the most part nonverbal yeah. and 
slightly above catatonic, but largely unresponsive. They have some cognitive function. They have decision-making power. They have some agency still. And so my guess would be that they have chosen to be here. Like, they have come here for a reason. It's not an accident. And remind me if this timeline makes sense. There is the recreants, the creation of all the Deadeye Spren, mm-hmm. and then there is the last desolation sometime later. The recreants is after the false desolation. Okay. So Baido Mishram's activities at yes. least introduce the possibility of the recreants. And mm. Maya's yeah. group, you know, this group of dead eyes mm-hmm. that made a specific decision during the recreants were at least influenced by the false desolation and by Edo Mishram. Presumably. And assuming also that their knowledge of her like capture and imprisonment mm. as well. Sure. So like all of those things could have been influencing their decision Very speculatively. Very speculatively, yes, but then collects message about fixing what's wrong with Ba Edo Mishram. Mm -hmm. What if there is like a fix of Ba Edo Mishram and a Uh fix of the Dead Eyes? Oh, yeah, I think that's a good call, actually. From what we know, I believe that those things are linked. Exactly. Yeah. That there seems to be some type of uh, blockage or or some thing going on. changed something about the Nahal bond. I believe. And the nature of like Spren on Rashar. I mean, it's uh, like across the board. According to Kalek, which, you know, magical, He's crazy. magical maladies. Magical maladies. <laughs> Let's not uh, take him completely at his word. Okay. Last question. This one's a good one as well. Comes from The Burning Dusk. Quote, in Rhythm of War, why did the anti-void light not react with the racium in the dagger? End quote. Brandon says, quote, I will raffo that for now. Good question, but yeah, there's some reasons there. End quote. Brandon, I need to know the reason. <laughs> anti-void light seemingly should react with racium and I any mean, yeah you would think that it would still be conducted by the racium since that is like the property although i mean i guess that's the thing right racium's property is to conduct investiture this is i guess not investiture it's anti-investiture so i guess that's our answer it's racium inert i guess because it is not investiture it's anti-investiture whatever that is i feel like this is talking about the same thing as talking about dark matter. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Where it's just like, it is a thing, but what is it? We don't know. <laughs> we have no concept of what it is. I feel like they have actually a better idea of what anti-void light is. Compared I mean, at to least they we... can make it on demand. Exactly. We can't do that. We don't even know what it is. It's just like dark because we can't see it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I believe that there are a lot of questions specifically when it comes to racium and anti-void light or anti-investiture in general. My big question regarding that is if it will be used or if the discovery of a way it can be used is like the key defining factor. Like what if an unchained bondsmith is able to channel 
anti-investiture in the same way they can channel investiture from the spiritual realm and create like a super bomb. Oh. You know, something truly horrific or truly Hmm. cataclysmic is possible because of like a merging of investiture and anti-investiture. There's a lot of, you know, bomb potential there. Of course, it could be anything. Yeah. These are the words of Brandon Sanderson. With some bonus words of Isaac. And a lot of commentary and speculation (laughs) from us. We appreciate you being along here. We are looking forward to our upcoming 100th episode of the podcast. Thanks so much. Can you believe we've done 100 episodes of this? Far more than 100 episodes if you join us on Patreon where there's extra special bonus episodes. This has been a great time. We appreciate all of you. We'll be back for our 100th episode in two weeks. Life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 